And so some quick questions, really quick. Um, I just want to get this going with some questions about where, um, where you're at. I just want to kind of give some rhetorical questions for you to answer by yourselves in your seat, just kind of seeing, hey, where am I at today with this thing called Christmas, with this thing called, uh, with this man called Jesus, with this baby born in a manger? And so I, I, I was reading through Isaiah 9, and we're going to get there really shortly. But I, I had to ask myself, do I really understand the magnitude of the coming Savior? Do I really understand the magnitude of Jesus being born in, in, uh, being born in a manger, God sending his son down to, to be born of a virgin, to be living a perfect life, to die on the cross? Do we understand Christmas? Do we understand why we celebrate this holiday? And when we have a sermon series called the, the King is Coming. And so the next question is, Jesus King in your life? Or is he just somebody that you associate with and pray to when things get out of control and that we're not sure what to do or where to go or where to turn? Because what I want you to hear is this, is the intensity of the gospel that we read in Scripture. The intensity of the gospel escapes us too often as we forget how bad off we really were in our sin that God himself had to come and die to make a way back to him. That, that, that escapes us sometimes, I believe, in this season. Like, listen, what kind of love is that that God himself would step out of, his, out of heaven, away from his throne, to come down to earth, to die for me, to be born in a stable, to be, to, to, to be born to parents, uh, and to live a perfect life? What kind of love is that? This is the, this, and this is why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus didn't have to do what he did. God didn't have to make a way. But God did make a way. Kind of like Andrew was saying, there's people in this room who are going through all kinds of different things this morning that I can't even begin to understand or define. But one thing I do know is that Jesus knows exactly where you are this morning, and he knows exactly where he wants you to be. And the answer is, will you respond to him this morning? And so have we really comprehended the fullness of what happened in Bethlehem so many years ago? And I'm hoping that we can touch on some of that this morning. So but what I've learned as a, as a man, as, as a human, is that sometimes life numbs our souls. Sometimes life, just the, just, the, just the everyday grind, just the things that we go through, just begin to numb us to the point where we can't really feel the weight of the promises of scriptures that was fulfilled in that stable like other times in our life. And it's important that we understand that we are able to be able to feel that the weight of the gospel, the fact that you were, you were able to hear this gospel message this morning, rested, on God's sovereignty in Bethlehem. You see that? There, just the fact that we're able to do this rested on God's sovereignty in sending Jesus to that stable. And so this morning, let's, I, I want to start off in a really good spot. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that was born in Bethlehem? You go ask the world, you will get a thousand different answers. You go to, you go to Islam, the Quran. It, it'll tell you that Jesus is a highly esteemed prophet or even a messenger of God even. You go to, to Judaism, Jesus is not considered a prophet, the Messiah, or the Son of God. He's just a man. In the eyes of some atheists, you can, you can, maybe you work alongside of some atheists, maybe you just know someone. Uh, Jesus may have been some historical figure, but was just mere flesh and blood and of little importance to this season or to our lives. Even in John the Baptist's life, or even in Jesus' lifetime, John the Baptist, hey, people asked him, you know, or are you John the Baptist? Are you, an, are you another prophet? Are you Elijah? You can look at Mark 8 and find those, those terms. But who are you? They were asking questions about who are you? And the first person or the first thing that recognized Jesus as the Son of God was a demon in Matthew 8. 
And then later in Matthew 16, Peter came along and said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. But we see in Scripture these prophecies. You look from Genesis all the way up until Jesus is coming. You see these prophecies about the Messiah. They were not just a bunch of scattered predictions randomly placed throughout the Old Testament, but they, were, they, were, they form a very unified plan of action that God had in place where each promise is interrelated and connected in this grand series or comprising of, of, of one continuous plan of God to come and save humanity. And that's what I want you to see this morning. I'm going to blow through some of them. Um, and I, you can write them down if you want. You don't have to. Uh, but the Messiah would be, would be the seed or the offspring of a woman and would crush the head of Satan. That's Genesis 3. He would come from the seed or, or the offspring of Abraham and would bless all the nations on earth. That's Genesis 12. He'd be a prophet like Moses to whom God said we must listen to. That's Deuteronomy 18. He'd be born in Bethlehem in Judah. That's Micah 5. He'd be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah 7. He would have a throne, a kingdom, and a dynasty, starting with a King David, and that would last forever. That's 2 Samuel 7. He'd be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and would profess and would possess an everlasting kingdom. That's Isaiah 9. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, completely righteous and carrying salvation in his right hand, coming with gentleness. That's Zechariah 9. He'd be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That's Isaiah 53. He would die among the wicked ones, but he'd be buried with the rich. That's Isaiah 53. He'd be resurrected from the grave, for God would not allow his Holy One to suffer decay. That's Psalm 16. He would come again from the clouds of heaven as the Son of Man. That's Daniel 7. And he would be the Son of Righteousness for all who revere him and look for his coming. It's so important that we read Scripture for what it is and not just skim over the pieces that fit our life and our agenda. It's so important for us to know the plan of action of God. And today, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, I really want us to look at one of the greatest prophecies about the coming Messiah that I think will set us up nicely for next week as we celebrate the birth of our King. And we, I want to turn to um, Isaiah 9, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. Um, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look through verses 1 through 7. It's going to be seven verses, and then we're going to dig into them a little bit deeper. But as you're turning there, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a background. In Acts, in Acts we're not there yet. That's in, that's in June. Sorry. It's January. In Isaiah 9, the Israelites had been through years and years and years of oppression from the Assyrians. If you look from the beginning, the Assyrians were arch enemies of Israel. And, but in this particular case, they were being oppressed for years and years and years. As, and it was, it was because it was discipline and punishment for their wickedness and disobedience towards God because, because of David's sin, because of the, all these sins. And keep in mind, this prophecy that we're about to read, this occurs 800 years before Christ was ever born. And it's important for us to see this, that these are the words of God through the, through the prophet Isaiah, but they're encouraging words, but it's also um, they, they're, God's time is not our time, so we need to remember that. So let's look in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 1 through 7. It says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the weight of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when divine 
when dividing the plunder. For as the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a, God, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so as I read this, and as we read this together, we see God speaking through the prophet Isaiah a message of joy and of hope and that the darkness that the Israelites were under, they were experiencing, will soon be turned to light. You look back in verse 1. It says, in the past... He, which is God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee, the Galilee of the nations. And so when you look in the Gospels, you'll see in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus' upbringing and most of his early ministry happened in this area. Most of his early ministries, the miracles, the things that he did happened in this area. And so you see he was fulfilling this prophecy that this place would be honored. Do you see that? And so it's important for us to know that and to see that. Verse 2, it talks about, this is, this is Jesus that they're talking about. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this is, this, this is speaking about Jesus who began his preaching ministry, his healing ministry in that same region. So at, you, can, you can imagine a Savior coming into that place, preaching the things that he preached, doing the things that he did, and, 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 and to a people who were, who were bound by sin, who were at this time bound by Rome, and you see a light coming into that place through Jesus, and you can imagine the celebration in people's hearts and their souls. You can imagine the light coming in and being like, this is it, this is what we've been waiting for, this is what my heart has been yearning for. And some of you have been in this place who have been baptized recently, who have gotten saved recently. You can probably attest to the light coming in and, and a dawn breaking because you, the, light, the light is overcoming the darkness and the, the newness is coming in your life. This is what it's talking about. This was talking about their physical oppression. But listen, today Jesus is doing that in our hearts through, this, through the sin in our heart. He's, he's, show, he's shining light on the darkness. And you look in verse 3 through 5. It says, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. The you here, I mean, I'm trying to dig into this a little bit before we get too far into it. You, the you refers to God the Father who will, lead, who will lead the people from spiritual darkness into light by sending this child, his son, Jesus, verse 6, the Messiah. This light will increase, and it will increase, it will increase their joy. It will increase their joy like the harvest time or the joy of winning a battle and dividing the, pl the plunder. So think about this for a second. Think about yourselves being in a, in a huge battle where you're fighting and you're, just, you're, you're trying to fight for your country and you win the battle and just the joy that happens, the relief that happens, the, the, just the overwhelming peace that happens in that moment. The, the, that, that's what it, that's the, the feeling that he's describing. And it will be like taking a burden off of someone's back. Have you ever carried something for a long time? Have you ever been in the yard working? You've carried a, uh, something on your back or your wheelbarrow or something. You let go and you're like, Whew. it's like that. It's like letting go of our sin, letting go of our shame, letting go of the things that have been controlling our lives and saying, Jesus, it's about you. 
And this is the prophecy that he's talking about because there is, there will be no peace. No more, there'll be no more need for war, excuse me. There'll be no more need for war because his reign will be one of eternal peace. And then finally, in verses six through seven, that's where we're gonna focus at today. You'll see five signs of this coming Messiah. The first one, he'd be born a child. He wouldn't just show up out of nowhere as, a, as, a, as this supernatural thing's happening. He, he would be born as a man. Number two is he would rule over God's people. The government would be on his shoulders. That's referring to the authority that the Messiah would have. In Isaiah's life, if you, if you read Scripture, in Isaiah's life, Israel's, Israel's rulers were incompetent to govern. They didn't lead well. They, 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 they were steeped in sin. But this Messiah would govern properly. He would be the true king of Israel that had been prophesied from the beginning of time. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, he even says it, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The third thing, he was given four descriptive terms or names that, that reveal his character. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. We're going to dig into those in just a second. Number four, he was going to sit on David's throne. He would, he'd be in a, he would have an eternal rule of peace and justice. His rule would have no end. And number five, it was, the joy, it was the joy and the zeal of the Lord that would accomplish this. And so to be able to truly understand, so all this being true, to be able to truly understand, we have to look ahead to the cross to see the true beauty and the full picture of the manger. If you're familiar with 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it points to Jesus being our atoning sacrifice for our sins. That means he fully satisfied the debt that we all owe because of our sin. And atonement, what that means, it literally means a reparation for wrongdoing, a payment on our behalf. And some of this stuff is like, well, this is boring. Listen, this, this stuff is so important for you to understand as a believer, to understand what it means, what atonement means. Whenever you read verses like 1 John 2, 2, what is, what, is the, what is the atoning sacrifice? What does that mean for my life as a Christian? It, it, it means something. So it's important that you understand. You, you're able to, to, to share these truths with people with you and, and be able to speak these truths over yourself because it's his sacrifice on the cross that fully satisfied the payment, the punishment for your sins and for my sins. And so we can see that without the cradle, without the manger, there could have been no cross. And so it's important that, that we let the weight of that hit us in the gut, in the heart today, that he came as a baby to die for you and for me. And, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm a fairly new parent, and I can remember holding my two babies when they were newborns. And I can't imagine Mary and Joseph holding Jesus as a newborn and looking at him and saying, this is the king of the world. This is the king of heaven. This is the king of kings. This is the Messiah. Can you imagine the, the, what that looks like? And I, I was reminded of Philippians 2 where it says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant or a slave and taking on the likeness of humanity. And I'm reminded that the God of all creation emptied himself of his divinity to become a slave for man and to be delivered through his, for us to be delivered through his sacrifice on the cross. He left his throne and his power to become the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Has that, has that resonated in our hearts this morning? Are y'all awake? Are y'all good? Listen, we have to teach sometimes in here. I can't just shout all the time, okay? Okay. But I need you to hear that the king, became, this is what I want you to do, the king became the ultimate servant to man 
so that man can receive the ultimate inheritance that belonged to the king. And so that's what we have to see today, and that, that has to wow us, that God made a way through our sins so that we could be with him and receive the inheritance that belonged to Christ. We get to be co-heirs in that moment with Jesus, and that should blow our minds. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't know what this is, I'm just ready to go to lunch. Listen, it's important that you hear this this morning. And this process began in a manger, a super humble location for the king of kings to be born. And I'm not sure if you're like me. I grew up near the country, okay? So I know what, uh, I know what cows smell like and what sheep smell like, and I know, what all, I know all about all that stuff, okay? And I, I'm, if, if, you don't, if you live in the Savannah area, you probably don't deal with that a lot. But I was, I've been to these places, and it's, I, I know the smells, and I know the things that happen in stables, and it's not fun. And I wouldn't want my newborn to be in that place because I'd be getting germics everywhere. Listen, let's, let's wipe it on the poles and everything. It's important that we kind of clean this place out of the germs. But no, God, this is where the king of kings was born. God becoming man. This baby was to be called Savior, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, came to us as a child to save us from the bondage that sin had us in. If you haven't received Jesus this morning, and I, 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 I hesitate saying receive Jesus because that just seems wrong to me. If I hadn't put my trust in Christ, if I haven't put my, my heart in his hands and my life in his hands, then this does not make a lot of sense to you. Because he did this by being at one with me. By taking the form of man, coming down here to where I am to be able to take me up to where he is. Taking all that is mine, taking all that is yours, and giving me and you all of what's his in exchange. If that doesn't draw me closer to Jesus, then something's wrong. If, that's, if that doesn't draw us closer to the heart of God, then something's wrong. Because I don't have to live in sin and shame and bondage anymore. It's literally me taking one step closer to God and him doing the rest. And that's the heart behind the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake... We got to look at scripture sometimes. For your sake, for your sake, he became poor. Because you were living and you needed his help, he became poor. That needs to hit us in the heart. It needs to move us from the pride that holds us back. It needs to move us away from the sin that we're holding on to because we think it satisfies. Because of me, he became poor so that through his poverty, I might become rich. What kind of God does that? Listen, any other religion in the world, you have to work your way to him. God came down and made a way back up to him for me, for you, because he loved you. That should blow us away. And so this morning, know this. If you don't know anything else this morning, know this, that God will stop at nothing to be with you because the cross says so. This is why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. He comes down to be with us. He made a way through his son. Jesus was, he is the long-expected Messiah that we read through in these pages. He's the savior of the world. He's the coming king, the Lord of the heavens, the Lord of the earth, who reigns eternally, no matter what we think. Our opinions don't matter in this. It's the truth of the word that matters. Every chapter in this Bible, from Genesis Three to Revelation 20 is talking about a story of God's rescue plan, and Jesus is at the middle of it all, bridging the gap between humanity and the Father. 
It's so true. Look in, go look it up. Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, rescue plan. It's awesome. And Christmas time, it's my favorite time of year. It's, an, it's, 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 it's this time of, of, an, of an expectant hope, of knowing that no matter what life has thrown at you this morning, the king has come and is coming again. Jesus has come into the world. He, was, he rose and went to heaven. And guess what? He says, I'm coming again. The angel said, just as you saw him go, he's going to return. And it's important that we understand that Christmas is a time of the hoping, looking forward to his second coming. And if you still have breath in your lungs this morning, there's still work to do in your life. Life's not over. There's so much hope in the cross, but there's just as much hope in the manger. Christ, Christ at Christmas is important that we understand that, that the manger brings us just as much hope because this is what initiated the process. Christmas should be a time that we point with an eager expectation and excitement and say, look, God has come to make things right in my life, in your life. It can be in anyone's life. In becoming man, the Lord of all creation has literally taken the will of my life and turned it back towards home to heaven and said, listen, I'm in control. I've got this. He's made a way for us where there was no way. He's made a way for us where there should not have been a way. And this is why the church should be the most joyful place on earth. The church should be the most joyful and happy and peaceful place because no matter what happens in this room in your life, Jesus has made a way and Jesus has pointed your life towards heaven. If you would just come to him and give up control of your life and say, I don't know how to do this, God, but I know you do. God, I give you my life. Lord, do with it what you will. Complete surrender. And this is why the church should be the most joyful place because we have the message of hope. And that's the cross. And the cross, is, 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 it points back to love of God, the one that sent his son to a manger. And, and that's what Isaiah says in, uh, in uh, chapter 43, verse 19. It says, I'm making a way in the desert. Does anybody feel like they're in a, a desert today or, or in a wasteland? He said he's making streams in the wasteland. He's coming to you. Have you opened your life to him? Let, let our, we, need, we need to let our hearts, we need to set our hearts to understand and be able to give that away. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. But even in the church, sometimes when you're preaching this message of hope, people are still like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what's happening, guys? Are you, are you hearing this? This is incredible stuff. Like, this is amazing. And I'm like, what's happening? I mean, are we not reading the same Bible? And like, listen, it's important that as we, as we lead this place, we go in joy. We go in peace. We go in excitement. We go in, and you know, I'll tell you this. This is kind of what it feels like for me. I know this is not a good example. It doesn't come close to the reality of it. When I, when I was a kid, I used to wake up on Christmas morning. I could not explain to you how excited I was to go in that living room and see what Santa Claus brought me. You know what I mean? I was pumped. Y'all did it. It's okay. So I was, I was excited to go to my, my grandparents' house and just open gifts and, and spend time with my family. I was excited. There was, a, there was an excitement, excitement. And that was just a shadow of what true joy looks like in, in, in our lives with Jesus because that's the type of interactions we should be having to give that joy, that excitement, that love, that peace, that overwhelming security that comes with knowing Jesus. But what happens, so many people in churches find themselves lost in the lostness of the culture around them. They forget. They forget who we are. They forget who they are. So my encouragement today is that we would find hope today in the words of Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. This is one of the most powerful prophecies testifying plainly and clearly that the promised Messiah to come would in fact be God himself, born in human flesh. 
And so I want to take a second and look at the four titles before we go of what this means for us. So let's reach verse 6 one more time. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the first thing you see there is Wonderful Counselor. And the fact that Isaiah calls the Messiah the Wonderful Counselor indicates the kind of character that this coming king will have and the kind of character that he does have. The, the word wonderful here, if you look into the Hebrew, you dig into it a little bit, it literally means incomprehensible. It means you cannot understand how wonderful this God is. You cannot understand how wonderful Jesus is. The Messiah will cause us to be full of wonder. That's why you see in Revelation chapter 1 where John comes before God or Jesus in that moment. Well, guess what happens? He lays on his face as though dead because he is so overcome with wonder and awe that he can't imagine being in this, in this incredible being's presence, much less full of sin. But in this moment, he's coming as the wonderful counselor to his people. And the word in Scripture that we read in this is much weightier than the way that we use uh, the way we use normal, uh, wonderful, normal in conversation, excuse me. We say things are wonderful when they're pleasant or when we like them or when things are exciting, that's wonderful. But Jesus is saying, I'm the kind of wonderful in a way that's going to boggle your mind. Uh, it, it blows your mind. The same word for wonderful is used in Ju Judges 13 when Manoah asked the Lord in a theophany here, yes, when, that's whenever God reveals himself in the flesh, which is Jesus he reveals himself to man in the Old Testament in those moments. He says, the angel of the Lord responded, why do you want to ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? In other words, why, basically what he's saying, why do you ask my name since it's beyond your understanding? That's the kind of God I want to serve. He, and listen, you look in the Gospels, you can see Jesus demonstrating this time and time and time again from the moment he was born of a virgin. That, what? The second thing, he, the power in his hands to heal. His, his teaching was unmatched. He was saying, love your enemy. People are like, what are you talking about? Let's, blessed are those who mourn. No, Jesus, people aren't blessed when they're mourned. It's opposite. It's a backwards theology. Listen, rejoice in persecution. What? Like, but it has so much wisdom and life in his words. He lived a perfect life, and then he rose from the dead. Jesus was wonderful. The second part of that, that, that description was counselor. In the ancient times, you can see um, King Solomon in uh, 1 Kings 4, he was described as a counselor who gave, who gave wise, very wise guidance to his people. Isaiah used the same exact word again in chapter 28, verse 29, to describe the Lord. The Lord, he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. John 2, you can look in John chapter 2, Jesus is the wise counselor. It says, he did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person's heart. He doesn't need anybody to tell him what's, what's up. I mean, he knows our hearts. He's able to advise people. He's able to advise his church. He's qualified in a way that no human being is as a counselor. Colossians 2, verse 3. In Christ is hidden, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's the kind of God I want to serve. Christ's position as the wonderful counselor, guys, means this that we can trust him in the middle of our problems. Do you have problems today? Do you have issues? Have things you're worried about? Who came in here with worry this morning? 
who came in here with fear this morning or who came in here with some, a struggle of some kind, the wonderful counselor is here for you. He came as a child for you to live a life that you should have lived, to die a death that you were owed, and he paid the price for your life. And all he asks you to do is come to him with those worries. Come to him with those fears. Come to him with those things. And he'll advise you, he'll guide you, he'll lead you. Because we can be certain that he loves us. He has our best interests at heart because he loves us. He said that his love is so wide and so deep and so wonderful that we can't even fully understand it. It's, it's amazing. Wonderful counselor means that Jesus will be a supernatural source of wisdom. That's amazing news for people who need guidance. Who needs guidance this morning? Jesus can give it to you. Go to him. Number two, mighty God. I love this, mighty God. The words of Isaiah 9, 6, one of the, one of the most powerful prophecies that we said. It literally says this coming king, Jesus, would be mighty God. That's awesome. This mighty king was coming to set everything right because everything to this point forward has been, uh, I'll make a promise with you, Israel. Okay, Israel breaks it. I'll make another promise. Israel breaks it. It's just continuously sin, 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 sin. In your life, I imagine you have prayers in your life where you're like, God, I just want to follow you closer. I'm sorry for sinning. God, forgive me for sin. God, forgive me for sin. God, I messed up big time this time. God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to make it right. We've all prayed prayers like that, right? And we've all been in that moment where we need God's forgiveness. This is the same thing that, that the Israelites are, are, are expressing through Isaiah, that they needed a mighty king to come set the world right. And this was the son, this was God the son coming down to redeem his people. And understanding this description right here of mighty God will reveal to us that nothing in life is out of God's control. You've all just admitted to me, most of you, said there's some things in your life that you need guidance on. You need some help on. There might be even some sort of things that you feel like you're out of control and you can't deal with anymore and you're not sure what your next step's going to be because you don't know the right way to go. Well, guess what? You have a wonderful counselor who is also mighty God. And this is not some superstition. This is not something that you're hoping in. This is a fact from Scripture that says he will be your wonderful counselor. He will be your mighty God. Only thing I have to do is submit my life to him, and he's going to do the rest. I don't have to do anything to make him love me. He already loves me. Trials are going to come, man. Temptation is going to rage. Evil may seem like it's winning. But Jesus is the mighty God of heaven and flesh who can sympathize with our needs, with my needs, with your needs. And my God and my Savior and my King never loses a battle. And he's never given up one inch of ground. He wins every time. Do you believe that this morning? You believe that this morning because I'm telling you, without trusting in the power of a mighty God during every season of life that comes, you will be robbed of the joy and the hope that is found only in trusting in the never-ending and never-changing Savior. Don't let life steal your joy and your hope because you're trusting in something else to satisfy. Mighty God means that Jesus is infinitely strong and powerful. Can anybody count to to infinity in here? Nope, I'm not going to be around for that. It takes 30 years to count to a billion, so we're going to leave that one alone. Look it up, it's true. That's amazing. Listen, that's amazing news for those people who are weak. 
right? That's amazing news for the people who feel like they're weak or lost in this place. I can't go on. I can't go another day. I can't take another step because, God, I need you to do something. That's good news that God is mighty to save for people like me who are weak. The third thing, everlasting father. Everlasting father. The Hebrew phrase translated to everlasting father could also be translated literally father of eternity. Father of eternity. And hear this, we can't overlook that everlasting not only means without an end, but it also points to without a beginning. Do you hear that? Everlasting not only means without an end, it also means without a beginning. And so Jesus was with God in the beginning. And a lot of you guys are like, well, what about the Trinity? What about this? Like, Listen, just we're not getting to all that today. We'll get in there eventually. But listen, trust what I'm saying. This scripture is, is infallible. It's important that we understand that Jesus was with God in the beginning. We know this to be true from John 1. We know this to be true from Colossians 1. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Isaiah is revealing a truth that the coming Messiah will be God in flesh, come to save his people. That this child born of a virgin, this king, this Jesus, who will be the father figure of the the children of Israel and to the world, he would protect and provide for people, for his people. His role as protector, as provider, would not be limited to aging or death. He's eternal. And so listen, this room is full of people who are limited to 60, 70, 80 years of life, if we're lucky. Having a father that we can look to that had no beginning and has no end is something that brings us joy and something that brings us hope and something that brings us faith in him. His role as as our provider, our protector brings us peace. But we have to have... We have the privilege today, guys, as people, of knowing Jesus as the provider of our salvation and the protector of our souls. We may struggle holding on to him at times, but his arm is strong to save. His arm is strong to hold us fast. We may struggle holding on to him, but he never loses hold of us. This morning, everlasting Father means that Jesus will care for his people forever. As a father who cares for his children, If you have children in here, I'm sure you would do anything to protect them. That's amazing news for those who are are alone and who are broken this morning. And lastly, Prince of Peace. Anybody watch the news lately? It's full of war, or full of war and violence and rage and division, hate. It's difficult to see how Jesus is the Prince of Peace the embodiment of peace. But physical safety and political harmony is not the kind of peace that this king is talking about. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. But he doesn't give it like the world thinks about peace. It says, I don't give to you as the world gives. I'm not thinking about giving you something that's worldly. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You look deeper into this word of peace, it's, it's the word shalom. It's often used in reference to an appearance of peace. I have this aura of peace about me, but this, this word in Isaiah 9 goes deeper. It's a more foundational meaning of peace here in Isaiah. And this, this is a spiritual harmony brought on by a person's right relationship with God. Having an eternal peace, God ushering in a peace like no one had ever known before. Romans 5 tells us that 
because of our sin in a sinful state, we are enemies with God. And listen, but because of Jesus' sacrifice and because of our right relationship with Him, we're restored to a relationship with God that brings us peace because we're in relationship with God. That's a supernatural um, union that happens in that moment. And this is a deep, abiding peace between our hearts and our Creator that nothing can take away. And the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's work as the Prince of Peace. And we have to remember, we have to remember that peaceful doesn't mean easy. Jesus never promised us an easy life. He told us to expect trials, but he told us that he would be with us in those trials. But he also said if you call on me, he would give us the peace of God which passes all understanding. And this Christmas, as we close, let's prepare our hearts for the coming king. Let's remind ourselves of why we celebrate the Savior's birth and point ourselves back to the beauty of the manger that God provided for us that was always pointing to the cross. Let's humble ourselves this season. Let's bring ourselves to the foot of the cross. Let's, the birth of our Lord is just as much as a part of the gospel as the death of our Lord. And let's point our lives back to Him this season as we jump into this series. The people of this world in your life need to see Jesus. That's why we're doing a Who's Your One campaign. People need to see the Lord. Who's in your life that you can point them to Jesus? A lot of people today don't know who Jesus is because they've been given a false Jesus by our culture. They need you to witness to them in your life of how Jesus has been the wonderful counselor, how Jesus has been the mighty God, how Jesus has been the everlasting Father, how Jesus has been the Prince of Peace. And there's no one beyond redemption in this place. No one. Everyone is infinitely loved by an infinite God. That's why we have Christmas. So point people to Him this Christmas. Pray that the eyes of their hearts will be opened. And I want to talk to you here today. If, if you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, I want to get that right before we leave right now. Because you may be here today and you don't feel loved or cared about. You, you may be feeling broken. You've lost hope or in the process of losing hope because things keep going wrong. You may be broken inside or trying to keep a straight face for people so that nobody's going to ask you what's wrong so you don't have to talk about things. But no matter where you find yourself today, there's one thing that we all have in common in this place and is that we all needed Jesus to be born to make a way for us. We needed our King to come and we needed Him to set things right because without Him, there's no hope. And this season is all about hope that is found in Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus today? Has your life been representative of a life that is surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Have you said yes to him and not taking your yes back off the table? If, if not, then today could be the day of salvation for you. The Bible says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. This process starts with repentance. Saying, Lord, I'm turning from my sin and from my shame. God, I know that I need you and I know that this has been killing me. Lord, I'm trusting you as Lord. So this morning, if you've, been in, if you've been living your life and you've not been anywhere on that realm of thinking, 
If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord, if your life has not shown the fruit of that type of relationship, I want to give you an opportunity right now just to just to enter into that relationship. Right now, at our church, what we do is we we ask you to be bold because Jesus has done something pretty bold for us going on the cross and dying for us. And we want to pray with you. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you know there's something in your heart that God is saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. I just want to ask you, if that's you today and you want to give your life to Christ and let us pray with you, I just want to ask you to slip your hand in the air so we can pray with you. We, we literally want to walk behind you and pray with you. Is that anybody in here this morning? Okay. If it's not, that's fine. We're going to do one more worship song. If you need prayer, we have people on each side of this room that would love to pray with you. This altar is open. This is not a place of shame. This is a place of freedom. So let that be um, you this morning. So God, we love you so much. We're thankful for who you are and what you've done. God, we give you glory and praise for sending your son the way you did. God, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Lord, I pray that you would just reign supreme in our hearts this morning, God, and you'd be Lord in this place. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they would not leave here without making things right. God, we pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified and honored in all we do. Father, in your name I pray.